Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 142. This episode is with the Director of Sports Science and Research Innovation at Playermaker, Steve Barrett. Steve joined the podcast to talk about his career. He spoke about some reflections from working in the game. He spoke about what he thinks we do well as an industry and also what what we could potentially do better as an industry as well. And then he also went into detail about Playermaker. So what Playermaker is, um, some of the sort of future plans for Playermaker and how it can benefit what we do as practitioners as well. And also what he felt like it benefited him when he was full-time at Hull too. So it was great to chat with Steve. Um, I hope you take plenty from this episode. Just before we dive into the episode, I'm delighted to finally say, after a long time in waiting... We have now confirmed our first networking event of 2021. And I want to just say a big thank you to Ross Bennett um, at QPR for being so patient and also sorting out the event. Um, So on the 20th of July, Tuesday the 20th of July from 5 till 8 p.m., we are going to be at uh, Queen's Park Rangers Academy for an evening of networking. If you've been to one of our events before, obviously, you'll know what it's all about. But the main aim of the event is for you to grow your network, um, chat to other practitioners, and you're also going to get the opportunity to watch sports scientists from the academy at QPR, Kieran Dealey. He's going to present for us on profiling fatigue and recovery. And then we also run some networking tasks for you to get chatting to other coaches and to discuss challenges you might face in your role and um, maybe some approaches that different clubs and practitioners take as well. So if you want to join us on Tuesday the 20th of July, just go to our website footballfitfed.com. If you click on the shop and then you'll be able to find the tickets for the event in the shop. We are currently, as this podcast goes out, we're running an early bird price on the event. But as it gets closer to the event, it will go to full price. And also, members of our online community get discount on both the early bird and the full price as well. So if you're not already a member of the community, go and check that out. But it'd be great to see as many of the listeners at the event as possible I'm really excited. I've been waiting to get the first one confirmed for a long time. We are going to run a few more events um, for the rest of 2021 and we'll be confirming them very soon as well. But it's great to finally get the first one in the books, in the calendar, and we hope to see as many of you there as possible Tuesday the 20th of July at QPR Academy. So we will dive into episode 142 with Steve Barrett. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 142. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Steve Barrett, Director of Sports Science and Research Innovation at, at Playermaker. Steve, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Ben. I really appreciate you giving up your time, mate. We've had a real good chat before the podcast about some of the stuff that we'll cover. So, Let's dive straight into it because I know some great value in this one. Um, just starting on you and your background. So do you want to just take us back and just take us through your career so far? Yeah, no problem. So um, I think first and foremost, like sob story is anyone failed footballer to start off with, which uh, tends to be a common trait amongst those practitioners that's worked in football. Um, 
But I actually started out as a football coach, as a technical coach, before I got into sports science. So I was working in Scunthorpe United's academy, went through, um, through my coaching badges up to the B, then fell in love with sports science at the University of Hull, did my uh, undergraduate, master's and PhD there. So I was there for a period of 10 years, which I think people have done more time in prison for certain actions, shall we say. <laughs> Um, and along that pathway, I had some really good development and career kind of journeys as well, which has been really great. Like, fortunately, so from Scumfort, went to work full time at Perform Better, um, was there for four years and got to travel the world with that role, travel all around UK. And which is why you might have a lower audience to this podcast because most people have heard my boring monotone voice quite a lot um, over the past few years. But it's always great to connect. And that that was probably one of the best kind of like job um, professional career CPD opportunities I probably could have. And so I was doing my PhD, starting my PhD journey during that. Also worked um, for the England women's uh, teams. So mainly with the U23s and U18s along that journey. So I was with them for five years, overlapping with that role and overlapped that again when I was at Hull City in my last full-time role working as the senior sports scientist there, looking after predominantly the first team, but helping support the academy programme as well with good practitioners like Ali Hamilton and co. And then this led me on to uh, becoming the director of sports science research innovation at Playmaker. Um, I actually bought Playmaker when I was at Hull. We used the system for a year. I had a system in the first team in the academy. I fell in love with it. Like I'm a bit of a geek with technology and monitoring, as most people will know. Um, and yeah, couldn't, couldn't resist the opportunity when they approached me about this exciting role with, um, yeah, with the company moving forward as well. So I thought a good place to start would be to dive into some of your reflections from being full-time in the game, um, on the grass, and obviously involved with the team day-to-day. Um, just to start with, some reflections on what you think in terms of sports science, strength and condition across the board is done well. Yeah, and I think, like, I've been, first of all, like, what I must say is I've been very fortunate to work with some very good practitioners, both within our field of scope, but also within the medical side, like the the directors, the board and so on. So it's been, that's where I think you get some of your best learning opportunities. And that means you can reflect a little bit more as well. So I think probably, probably the first one was ultimately like work with people, being a young practitioner going into an environment where I wasn't, so I was employed as a technical skills coach, which I'm not the most technically gifted player, so it was probably a false title, but that was the role paid by the football league to the club at the time for me to take. And like I look back at that time and, it, I mean, there was some good banter in there. there was, we were in like an old porter cabin. We went from being under the, sta- under the stadium where there was no natural daylight and I had a desk that was probably the size of a laptop screen and um, to fit it on and working with two very uh, experienced coaches um one ex-footballer very experienced coach and tony Dawes, and then the other one a guy called guy parking who most people will know from obviously the premier league testing and pro football support as well so learning from them two in my first role and i reflect back on that and those 
learnings have probably set me up for the rest of my career. And ultimately, we didn't have a lot there. Like, we would have to, and again, I use the term innovate, but I suppose everyone would probably innovate because not, and again, this is making me sound really old, and it's not like I'm the old old age of uh, some of the grey-haired people within our discipline, shall we say, who I'm sure some of them can guess who they are and referring to, but... <laughs> I'm at the point where in the start of my career, social media wasn't really existent, mate. And so these continuous professional development opportunities that we're probably going to talk about later on, like uh, they weren't available then. You had to go to conferences and networks and stuff like that. And you don't really know as many people, especially as that young practitioner. So those two literally would kind of force me to go and network, go and have to take that, reach out, which has kind of set me up for the rest of my career. And I think on reflection, that is probably one of the best things could on coaching and having those good communication skills have been really valuable. Like both working with players, but also working with different cohorts. Like you look at work as a sport scientist and a physical performance coach, sometimes like there's a barrier already set before you've even got in the door at some places. So like, like again, another reflection first, First couple of weeks at Hull, Hull, we went on a mid-season tour to Portugal, like it was when we were in the Premier League, and ultimately, like, waited for the opportunity to go speak to the gaffer when he was sat at the bar having a few drinks and that, so he was a bit more relaxed. And so you learn from those early reflections as to the best time to approach different people in different ways, and that's the best. And it's managing the the relationships that you have because ultimately, relationships are the best thing. So, on yeah. To summarise, reflections are just about relationships and forming those and taking, you can never learn or know enough. And one of the things that they always tell you about a PhD that you don't realise till the end is what you learn is that you don't know everything mm. and that you know less than what you probably did at the start of the journey. And that's probably the best reflection for me. So no matter where I go to now within my career, I also always make sure I try and listen to everyone even as you go up the hierarchy, it's making sure that you appreciate and communicate with people appropriately because no matter what position is and people are constantly obsessed with these kind of org charts and hierarchies and titles and stuff like that. It's about the people you work with and you, I even got some great value from some of the cleaners at Whole City, to be honest with you, like a bit of the last one in, cleaner, cleaner would come in and she'd be like just chatting away to me and you just pick up one or two things from a communication point of view where you go, you know what, I'll sit back and reflect. So take every opportunity as it comes and don't just disregard people just because of the job title as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I always find it interesting speaking to people because um, when people reflect on like what they might have done previously when they're younger or whatever, they've sometimes had roles like working behind a bar or working in a cafe and stuff and Probably at the time, they didn't really think that they were taking much from it. But then they're the times where you have to speak to people, aren't they? And you have to communicate. And like you say, people like cleaners and in, in those roles, they're going to communicate with a lot of people. You can learn a lot. 16, so I got, when I was 16, I got released by a whole city and I signed for a club called Scarborough. And in order to pay for the petrol to go to to Scarborough, like three, four times a week, whatever it, whatever it was, I used to work actually at the KCOM stadium as a waiter. And funnily enough, that communication skills, I actually met my wife there. She was my boss oh, at the yeah. time. 
So, like, you go from that that communication skills that you learn to speak to different people. Also, speaking to her is obviously uh, sorting me out with a life partner, shall we say, in a little boy. So, um, yeah, you can you never know when uh, relationships. I I did stress to all, like any of my bosses that when they asked me when I met my wife, that won't be happening with you. I just need to stress <laughs> that. So, um, so it's all good. I can't say anything. My my wife was my boss at one point as well, so we're in the we're in the same the boat. You're the boss for the rest of your life, let's be honest with you. So any, you any partner that you have for a long term, like working in professional sports, sometimes you need to give them a little bit more because they give a lot for us working within that area as well. And I've, like to be fair, one of the another reflection, and I should give a big shout out to a guy called Rob Price, who I worked with. Uh, he actually brought me in at Hull, who's now head of performance and medicine at Leeds. He is like listening to again listening to people communicating with people his kind of like outs outlook on the profession outlook on life balance in general and like some of the things obviously again has been in the media recently with what he's had to go through that just makes you appreciate more that like everyone's passionate about it but you also need to get that life balance right at the right time as well because it's near impossible to always get it at the right time and football can sometimes be demanding that you have to live your life for it but your life is your family your life is your friends outside of it so it's getting that balance right as well yeah and that, that was another thing I was going to ask in terms of reflections what you think we could do better and that's that's maybe one that, that you said about there yeah and I think like, to be honest with you, and I think this is probably one of the reasons why there's been a lot of movement in and out of, like, the professional sport in organisation. Obviously, like, there's been a lot of work done in media and about salaries and stuff like that. But putting that to one side for a second, because, like, it's such an enjoyable and great profession to work in that we should be lucky that we get to do the profession. We wouldn't be in it if we didn't enjoy it. And everyone loves a bit of a moan and stuff like that. But realistically... If you can get that balance right and on reflection, like I think it's understanding that, like, yes, you have to work and football is football, professional sport, whether that be we've been even seeing some of the experiences going into different organizations, different clubs, your life does end up revolving around the work. But it's those who get that balance right that gives you that longevity and ultimately keeps you motivated to keep going. Like a whole for example. For example, like there was a rotation system. I know some of the top clubs do it because they can afford to do it and they can have multiple staff so that one might have a day off and then everyone covers and everyone sorts out. So it's like a normal workplace, although it can never be a normal <laughs> workplace with what goes on. However, the backroom staff, the ones who aren't the ones earning millions of pounds to be on the football pitch, they're the ones who ultimately like can still maintain that normal type of life. I know that's a lot difficult at the lower levels and but it's really getting that balance right and understanding that like actually people perform perform to a higher level when there's actually that balance because if you just literally like three four years working full-time profession like sometimes motivation just starts going out because to go right i'm in this game now i enjoy it but what's my salary, what's my life like, oh, I want a family and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it's that switch over. And that's why we've probably seen, especially in the last year to 18 months, on reflection why people have been reflecting on their own careers and seeing really what they want to do. And, and again, like that, that was something I, I didn't take lightly to come out of like, 
the full-time professional sport environment. I still obviously get the the enjoyment of being part-time in it and obviously working with players during the off-season and different times in their programmes and stuff like that. But there's it's managing that life expectation. I didn't want to miss my little boy growing up. And so for me, if I stayed in there, that was the reflection that ultimately, like, was it a sacrifice I wanted to make? I'm willing to sacrifice and work hard, but that was just one I wasn't able to do. And that, again, came from the advice and reflections of people senior to me. So, yeah, it's, um, I think really we're going to see that big shift now as to, and the fact, and again, and I said we would avoid salaries, but ultimately it's like, you come to a crossroads. So like everyone's gone down these PhD studentship models at the minute, which is great because it provides a great learning opportunity in the master's studentships. And I, we start started like a big project doing them at Hull and you look at it together. So out of the five students that we had, one's got a full-time job at the club, which actually on reflection is actually a great return in the current climate. Yeah. But for the other four, it's like, where do they go? What do they do next? Like, so two of them were PhD levels. So one's become a lecturer, the other one's still within that limbo space of do I want to be an applied practitioner? But for the level that I'm at, I'm probably going to have to go in a, in a low level kind of salary. But if I was to go into a different profession, I'd probably earn double my salary. Yeah. And so that's why, where it is, where it's like with there's a clear pathway in other professions about how you can step up. But at the minute, within our kind of discipline we've got that issue whereby you could be stuck on the same salary for a number of years and there's no progression or there's no visible progression so yeah that whole motivation to really do well and reflect and ultimately you can work as hard as you like but you might always just stay there with regards to the value in the organization and so you either need to progress change profession or change organization you're working and then build from there because you know what it's like if you're an intern in a club and you work through that club as an intern it's very rare there's a couple of really good examples so this isn't a stereotypical point of view but like it tends to be that those interns are always looked upon by the hierarchy as like oh they're a good lad intern we brought them through so they might not be if a coach brings a staff member into the same position they're doing the same job this person's probably going to get higher valued um wrongfully in my opinion but that's just the way that things are unfortunately so yeah it's that getting that balance right and that's the reflection that practitioners have to take and that's obviously one that i made a bit ago as well Um, it's a real fine line, isn't it? Because we talk a lot about sort of working hard, like dedicating your time and being committed and um, putting everything into your career and making those sacrifices. Like we've spoke about it a lot on the podcast, but then at the same time, like I, I completely agree that balance has to come in terms of family life or whatever it is you've got. You have to try and find that balance. So it's such a tough one, isn't it, to know like whether you've got to experience the fact that you do sacrifice things and you go all at it and then you then you try and find that balance or finding that balance from the start and is that even possible? And I, I know that's not really a question, but it's just a it, it's a it's an interesting one to think about, isn't it? No, you're right, and I think that's like my, the people that know me know that I'm I'm probably not a smart person, but a PhD proves that you work hard and commit to something, and that's. That's basically like one of the big differentiators with within balancing 
life and time management. So ultimately, like you have all these different plates that you're spinning, and like there's a few there's a few people I jokingly joke about the old side hustle, so to speak, but we're causing ourselves more work to get that more value. And people claim about working hard or working smart, but you should be able to do both together. Mm. And ultimately, that's that's where like this whole thing of you're either one way or you're the other, or you're all in, you're all out. It's, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult um, time in the current climate, especially for young practitioners coming through. And like I reflect on my time, would I have had the, the success I had or have perceived to have had, like if I was to come into the industry now, I, I'd argue say I'd graph my nuts off to make sure I would do. Yeah. But it'd be a hell, hell of a lot harder than what I found it like again I look at I actually started my work at Scumfort when I was just starting as a first year undergraduate student so again we all talk about work placements third year need to start looking at that and that's why I wanted to get one step ahead that's why I stayed at home doing university instead of like moving away and that so that I could while it was a social kind of uh, social kind of sacrifice which as a teetotal, it was probably a not a bad decision because I could drive home at like three o'clock in the morning still with having a good time. But it's that kind of balance where you go, that's probably what's given me the opportunity now. Whereas like even if I'd have volunteered to coach now at like a club like Scunthorpe or Hull City locally, the opportunity is to get in because of the amount of not saying that I didn't have the paperwork, but the paperwork you have to follow, the other people you compete with now, everyone's trying to get a foothold in. And the whole industry has just become like that at the lower level. So really, it's even now, like people with, within my, the people that started off at clubs when I first started, and now like they're in that limbo space of, right, am I able to get up to there and progress? Or am I just going to stay here the rest of my career? Or do I need to move on? Do I need to change careers? And there's been, Training Ground Guru did quite a lot, like a little piece on that a while ago. And the athletic did as well and it's been really interesting to read all the different journeys and speak to people about what what and how they've experienced different journeys as well and mm-hmm. yeah it's just tough at the minute to be honest um, I, I suppose it's also at that point like when you say you could you could take maybe 10 practitioners that have had a similar journey that have ended up at a similar point and it comes down to a bit of subjective opinion at that point doesn't it in terms of like the opportunity they might get, the people they know, the just literally the, the chance that they might get to um, speak to someone. Um, I actually listened, I've spoken at High Performance Podcast, loads on this podcast, but I've actually just listened to the Gareth Southgate one and yeah. it was brilliant. And he spoke about when him and Steve Holland met and it was him visiting Chelsea and then years later when he needed a, an assistant in England, he thought of him. And that's kind of that that could happen with uh, practitioners in sports science and that as well. It could just be that there was a an interaction at some point in the career that le- leads to a role, and then it's it's it doesn't necessarily mean that they could have done too much. The people that missed out on it. Yeah, and like, I look so to to be honest with you, like I look at like my career coming back to this kind of side of like the. The discipline, so to speak, so the more commercial business side of things. And actually, like the relationships I built like early in my career are probably the ones that are still lasting now. 
Yeah. So it like that's that's like the big thing. And arguably I'd say one of the best kind of opportunities that I'd recommend anyone to do is actually go and visit people in, in clubs, like you say, because it's at conferences and that like it's like anything you speak to this person, you speak to that person. If you go into to a networking event, try and check out who's there before you even attend so that you know like who's there. So events like what you put on are fantastic and great and people can go network. It's just if you try and if you want to get their dedicated time, there's going to be multiple people trying to get into them. So then from those events, you can try and get a club visit, spend an afternoon with them when they're quiet and that. That's like that was like some of the most valuable experiences for me going into like rugby teams, AFL teams, American football teams. I even went to do a week at Microsoft um, back in 2016 and met some incredible people along the way. And those kind of like people then shaped your career because ultimately like I'm a big Power BI user because of that trip out to Microsoft. And it was just as it was like blowing up so I got to get ahead of the curve with that and use that within my practice and ultimately that helps inform what I'm still doing today kind of thing um so there's all those kind of experiences and elements to your pathway that is your networking and your speaking to people one-to-one conversation I mean we can't go to a bar at the minute and sit down and socialize in a big group which is always a difficult one and this is I'm not saying I take advantage of drunk people. If I give someone a beer and I'm drink, drinking a Diet Coke or something like that, then it just means I remember the story they might not do. So, so <laughs> yeah. there's, there's always like, there's always those kind of like, they're the best bits of information where you can like, you get people as a human being ultimately. And there's not this kind of, not that we all, we personally do it, but there's not this professional front. Like, and this, this is obviously no disregard to podcasts like this, but people are always thinking in the back of their minds about what if I say this, what if I say that I need to, we had a chat about something that I might not be able to chat about on here as well before the call. So all of a sudden now I'm thinking, right, I can't say that. I need to avoid that. Whereas like when you get someone in the guards down a little bit, you get more free flowing, more communication. So really getting those personal relationships and developing them will help you throughout your career. Like I still, I still regularly speak to to Guy, for example. I still speak to Pricey every now and again, and all the people who I've met along the way, I'll speak to at some point or another. Because other than the off season, when you try and catch up with everyone, you normally hear from people when they want something mm-hmm. as well. So it's yeah. uh, it's but you make the most of those opportunities to really dive in and deep. Like uh, again, work work related op- opportunity. I got to meet a couple of my old England players like the other week like because one of the players is opening up her own academy in Manchester and work with like she's becoming an ambassador for us and it's that nice kind of relationship that actually I worked with you a few years ago but now we're working together with this it's all those kind of like good links that really drive it through yeah 100% again we've gone off a bit of a tangent there haven't we yeah so, yeah but no I think it's valuable though isn't it like these are these are important discussions to have um so no, I think it, we did, but I, I think it's all good. Um, but we'll get us back on track because yeah. playmaker. Let's go into a little bit of background just to start with. So if anyone's not heard of playmaker, can you give a little bit of background on on what it is and and what playmaker does? Yeah, so playmaker is basically two small 
basis that fit into silicon strap. They are inertial measurement units that have got accelerometers and gyroscopes, so it measures like the impacts and the rotations of the foot. And to put it at like high level, from a technical point of view, it measures every time you receive the ball and every time you release the ball and touches in between. So it's both, it's kind of like the bridge to summarize it up between that physical and technical link. So whereby like it can provide the same time motion data that we're getting from devices between the shoulder blades, but the foot level, we're actually getting it based upon the number of steps that you take. And so it was re really interesting for me. We bought it at whole predominantly for like the technical analysis and the gate analysis aspects of the system. Because we really wanted to explore that, like, and I apologize about using load, but like that kicking stroke technical load and wanting to understand a little bit more. We had a few few players at the time, and again, on reflection, on reflection, the recruitment side at whole, we bought some very, very good players, but injury risk profile was very high. So we had to take advantage of any technology or any other interventions that we were able to support monitoring them from a close point of view. So this seemed like that next kind of standard preparation. And also from a selfish point of view, whenever I did conditioning sessions or whenever I did work with the players or anyone from our department was doing work with players, I wanted us to, to think from the player and the coach's perspective. So arguably the main use we got out of it was from a performance analysis perspective. So our performance analysis, and again, I should really shout out uh, Josh Maris, Josh Appleyard, and Ryan Madra as part of this at Hull. So they, jo Josh Maris would uh, lead the running system like with Josh Appleyard and Ryan overseeing him. And they would run the system because ultimately they, we could link the video to the technical and physical data. So all the previous times I would go to the analysts and say, look, any chance I can get video clips of training or from the game, I want to see out of session when our wingers making his recovery run. So if we're doing a rehab session, I want to create that physical library of drills and match play type scenarios in order to do that. And then from training, okay, this is what you're doing in training. This is what we're doing in rehab and a closed control. And we'll progress to that. So creating that kind of like video drill library to then inform our practice. So ultimately like what you see on the field is what you get. And so we started building that up and that was one of the big uh, aspects of it that we were going to drive on. And then even just creating drill labs and understanding of like the technical loads on the players. So like in Josh's masters, which he got published, um, we basically found that like the technical out actions in training were higher on a match day minus one compared to any other training point in the week. And it was like, okay, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. And we're just about to submit another paper with um, the Norwich City guys reviewing their, their systems. And ultimately that that shows a different trending pattern without giving too much away before the paper comes out. And it's it's those kind of learnings where you go, well, I think I said it earlier in the call, like you end up thinking that you know less than what you actually started off doing. And that's yeah. a prime example whereby we need this like kind of big data collection. But um, yeah, to bring it back, Playmaker ultimately does technical analysis, physical analysis, gate analysis, then there's the video integration, which just, again, it saved our analysts a couple of hours a day at Hull. Um, 
the beauty of being a like a sports scientist or a bassist kind of an like accredited one with all the chart scientists is that I always have to try and make sure that I provide an information that's scientific and robust. So that's like that's why I was confident coming into this role that really it was an opportunity to promote something stroke work towards something that is I really believed in and that others yeah. believed in. Um, and he's still being used at the club, club within the first team and academy fully nowadays as well since I left, which is great to see. And I think that's a big thing for me is that like if I had left and it stopped being used, then I hadn't done a good enough job within the processes that we'd set up. Um, so to see that continued, and again, Josh has now got a full-time job at the club, which is fantastic. So, yeah, you, like like I said, you'll see, I, I don't like talking about myself, so I always take it to other people. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> apologies, I've gone away from Playmaker. Now, just a couple of quick community updates. Obviously, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, our upcoming event that we are running at QPR Academy, the discount code for our members anyone that's a member of our online community is now available for you to go and get off the community so just as you're purchasing your ticket just pop the code in and that will give you a discount on the event also um, we've added the couple of webinars so webinar from uh, Matt Jones nutritionist Matt Jones on football nutrition a periodized approach and also the most recent one from Leicester City first team sports scientist Tom Joel has done a brilliant webinar on, on using different levels of feedback to help inform practice. And that has gone down brilliant, by the way, um, on our community so far. Some really good feedback on that webinar from Tom. So you can go and check those webinars out as well as all the content that's also already available on the, web, on the community by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab at the top. Just register there. Make sure you go through the full sign-up process and that will give you one month free on the community. After your free month, it is only £4.99 per month and you can cancel any time. So go and check it out. If you're going to join us at QPR, it's worth the discount alone. Um, but obviously, there's loads of great webinars and presentations available on there, including loads of partner discounts as well. So go and check those out. Um, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Steve Barrett. No, no, it's cool. I, I think it's interesting because you can give perspectives from both sides, obviously now being um, fully involved with Playmaker, but then in, essentially getting the club to invest in Playmaker when you're at the club. It's interesting from both sides. And I'm just trying to think from a coach's or a, or a practitioner's perspective at a club, what do you feel like, or the, maybe speak on behalf of the the practitioners that are at the club now some of the biggest benefits since bringing in the system yeah and I think like without naming specific clubs because like there's been some really good utilization of the system across multiple clubs I know we spoke about a couple before the call so without without naming teams like it's really it's probably and this is why like I, I really enjoy working for the company as well is because it's a system that can be utilized by any part of the like performance NDT. And so you look at, so like like I mentioned, obviously about Hull already, performance analysts are the ones really utilizing the system, running the system and getting a lot out of it. But then rehab started to kick in and literally kick in because again, looking at kicking speed, looking at technical. So when you go to another club and like some academies are using it like purely from a physical perspective 
and then others are using it for technical only. Then they learn a little bit more. Then some are just use it for the video analysis. There's a one club that literally invested in the system purely to purely to serve their analysts that coding time, as we said. Whereas like some some clubs have bought into it, and there's even we're predominantly soccer, but or soccer is football, which is where you can tell my mindset's at because it's global at the minute. So apologies about using that naughty word soccer. Um, <laughs> but like some some teams in different sports are now starting to show interest because of the gate analysis specific metrics. Like yeah. and being able to look at flight time, contact time, all of a sudden it gets the head tingling a little bit because we've we've been restricted to kind of like what we've been able to collect in a lab environment. So actually, and again, we spoke about it before the call, my big kind of project that I gave myself as part of like this, this role was bringing the lab to the field. I want to, all the things as a practitioner using the system that I wanted to try and bridge the gap between what, what we would have to test in a lab environment or within a controlled environment. Why can't we do like in any part of the training session? So to give give you an example, like there's one one particular project where we're working with multiple multiple female teams, and that is to monitor and go around and test multiple teams is a big task. Obviously, like there's big finances associated towards like doing that, and Pro Football Sport do a great job with the Premier League, for example. But when like you, you scale it down and go, how can you help support that? So like if every time they do 40 meter sprints or they do an MAS run, we get automated reports back. Now, people like JB Marin have talked about the force velocity profile and analyzing that and being able to do that in a straight line. But what if we were able to do it outside of just a sprint? What if when you're in that game situation, you've got a winger sprinting down the line? As what I was saying to you about the video uh, context, how can we bring that context from what they're doing in the game can that be our test now? Like ultimately, like our, tr- our monitoring solutions are all geared towards what's it like compared to a game? What's it like compared to the, the worst case scenario and stuff like that? Well, okay, if that's the worst case scenario, let's say this sprint makes 60, 70 meter recovery run from a corner because the other team's counter-attacking, we need to get back in. Okay, are they going to sprint that quick in the training session when you do like control 40 meter sprints and you're saying, right, build up to 90, build up 95, don't go all out because we just want to, <laughs> just in case. Yeah, it's true. Like, so realistically, like the aim is to be able to provide as much detail as you'd like to that kind of like level of can we start estimating like ground reaction forces at some point? Like, and it go. It comes back to kind of like the process that I tried to implement. And like with any system, when you go into an organization or when you're planning to go into an organization, running that needs analysis about what the organization is, what it's trying to answer, what's the goals of the organization, whether that be a professional football club, whether that be a professional rugby team or something within the business side of it. And so really, really doing that needs analysis and looking at where the company could find that USP and that gap in the market. So there's some really good, really good people within the company. So to give you an example, like our chief innovation officer um, was head of the biomechanics lab in at Nike for 15 years. And so he he designed the strap, the strap that fits around the boots because he his job for 15 years was making comfortable footwear. Mm. So 
all of a sudden you go, if that's the backing, that's the valid validation, that's the knowledge within the company. Like the, the strap, like one of the big things we did at Hull, I, sh- I should say this as well, which is again, great to have the relationships with key stakeholders. When we actually trialed the system, you had all the players moaning, complaining, potentially about the comfort. It's like, what are you doing putting something on my foot? It's going to affect my touch, it's going to do this. Got the gaffer to put it on at the time. So um, Nigel Atkins put it on at the time, his assistant Andy Crosby, Tony Pennett, the goalkeeper coach, myself. Just got all the staff in place to put it on. And I said, literally, because obviously it was in a trial period, if any of you can feel it after five minutes and it's giving you pain, we'll take them off, we won't get them. Yeah. And, and that that's like a, a big call. That for me was like the big call because ultimately if even one had turned around and done it, we'd have to take them all off. They all forgot about it after a couple of minutes and yeah. nice, after the warm-up getting drinks, I had a feeling it's like, you can't feel them. <laughs> but, but it, and it's like the only the only time I experience discomfort, you look at how the lads are wearing it and they're wearing it like on their ankle and I'm like, you know, that's not how you're supposed to wear it. it? <laughs> so it's, it's like, it's validation to me that like that experience I had with the players at the club, like, and we, we, I'll be honest, we had a really good professional group that would literally do anything. They'd have a bit of a man and that, but you gave them the justification as to why you were doing it and they would do it again. The relationships you build coming back to again. But yeah, it's just the, that's been an eye opener really whereby from a company now, it's like once people get over that kind of perception, we had that with GPS vests, I mean, 10, 15 years ago. Mm. And I'm quite proud of our discipline because we've been able to make a load of male testosterone fueled like athletes wear sports bras. And yet no one bats an eyelid now. Everyone forgets that in essence, they're very similar to sports bras. Like, and yet we're, we're all wearing them. So, like, as a display, if you see the value in it, yeah, you, you put yourself on the line to re- like, and that's that's where I think there's been really good uses of the system. And so, when every, everyone buys into it, everyone understands why you use it. It's when you can't, you can't, um, you can't validate the use of any technology, any bit of equipment, any process. So. If I went out and did a warm-up that was just running around in a circle, players are going to start to complain because they don't see the relevance to what they're yeah. doing. But if I can give a rationale behind it, they'll buy into it and they'll get on with it. Like, you should have athletes and you should have players that challenge your mind process. You should have coaches that challenge you because it's healthy to challenge each other because then you improve and then you perform. Like, again, like, and I'm working with a group of players now during the off-season period and they're challenging challenging me because I want that challenge it's like you should ask me why you're doing it don't just nod your head and agree to do what I'm telling you because ultimately is it specific to you is it helping your development and whether you're a whether you're a director in a business trying to establish processes that you're going to run or like whether that be looking at your planning of the organization in the next model for a few years all the way down to working one-to-one as a, a gym instructor or something like that with someone you still need to run that needs analysis and know specifically what that person wants and that's what coming back to playmaker that's what we're trying to do for those different parts of the mdt and so because of that link between physical technical and rehabbing coaches can now start to digest that they're just making those communication pathways a lot easier we've had it with with one again the transition between academy and first team has always been like that question mark one and we're seeing it now with a lot of our 
are users whereby the physical data might not explain the gap, but actually it's the speed of the play. So you, they might cover the same distance, might cover the same high speed, same excels, D cells, but the speed of play is so much quicker. And when you start thinking about that, you kind of think it makes sense. Technically, better footballers' balls probably moving quicker, less one touch, uh, more one touch, sorry, less time on the ball, balls moving quicker. I'm chasing around, moving my head. So all of a sudden, it's then changed. Well, actually, what's the cognitive demand on the players? And so, from a personal point of view, that's where we started to associate the differential RPE that, like, again, with Sean McLaren and Matt Weston's help, like, in the past we started to try and observe differences within playing standards and then also playing opponents. So actually, as whole city in the Premier League, when we played the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal, we were literally just going in a 4-4-2 like that. Mm. Distances below, RPEs would probably be the highest in the season. We get a 2-2 draw, but actually because of like that mental time, it's also it's a different part to the game that we're having to explore from a recovery perspective now. Yeah. So do you need to come in and do a swimming pool recovery or do you just need to give them a day off because actually it's a mental stress as opposed to like that physical stress. Like if they do massive 12 to 14K kind of games with 800 to 1600 metres worth high speed running some of the place, what's harder to them? Do they need an app to recall that? Do they need a swimming pool session? Probably, maybe, don't know. Robin Fault does some really good work on that kind of recovery side of things. And but actually from mental fatigue kind of thing, you've done three away games on the bounce and even though your distance is low, it looks like it's perceived, perceived low on that peak. Is that, from a cognitive point of view, is that more demanding? So I think that's where I really like the technologies because it starts to ask and answer questions in certain areas and it starts to ask more questions associated to that which inform other processes as well. Yeah, that, that's where it sounds really exciting, isn't it? Because you've already said that clubs are using it in different ways and it's just opening up more and more questions, isn't it? And adding adding more questions and more conversations that we can have about the approach we take with it, which sounds really exciting. Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the big thing that I was conscious of doing was, was coming in, it's like, we can, we can go create a million and one new features. Um, like, as a company, we could go do that like in the next six months and just data them. That's, e- that's easy to do. Ultimately, what the challenge is, is providing value, and yeah. providing useful insights to practitioners working in those different organizations whereby it's answering a performance question. I think that's kind of like one of the balances I like because ultimately, like, if I go speak to, um, what name team, but let's say I go speak to someone that's competing at the top end of their division, they want to just get that extra kind of insight. So they might be performing some, some maximal tests, to give you an example. Some maximal tests would be popular across the board. board and, and so speak about our own personal experience, right? We use heart rates, control kind of output, but actually what about that that mechanical side of it? So Liverpool, John Maud's guys, um, along with Barry Drust, who's moved on now, they've done some really good work looking at that kind of biomechanical kind of assessment and starting to consider what's the stresses on the muscle. So even though we're covering 800 metres doing a four-minute um, time or four-minute, like, controlled run, 12 kilometres per hour is, like, what, what we used to programme for, for our submaximal. Um, can we get kind of more information out of it? So that was one of, like, our users and what working on with one of the teams, 
one of the guys that, who you've got coming up on the podcast soon. Hopefully, hopefully he talks about that project because I can't. He can talk about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually like starting to explore. Okay, because during the season we rarely see that change in physiological state. It's very because obviously once you've got your starts and non-starts and you've got your programming right, everyone goes from pre-season that nice dose-response relationship. Right, the more we do, the fitter we get. So as we balance it, don't overdo it. Throughout the season, it's just those little peaks and troughs. But actually, what we want to explore now is from a mechanical point of view, what's the response to a given exercise? And actually, might that help inform us from a conditioning point of view? So if we know like their contact time starting to increase, why is that at the starting to show? One is it a sign of fatigue, is what's been already written in lab research, stuff like that, that we can take to the field. Is it they're just lazy with those mechanics those days? Are they not as strong? as what they have been at different points of the season. So they've gone through this great pre-season phase, not played the first month, and now we're coming back to it. And it's like, okay, we've been conditioning them, but why are they not strong? It might have been one of those players that's been in and out of the team, playing 20 minutes as a sub, not doing as much conditioning, not doing as much gym. So it's getting that balance right. And if it's just a small piece of the puzzle that we're trying to add additionally, again, it's a specific performance question. What's the... And again, I use the term loosely, but what's the kind of like biomechanical, stroke mechanical implications of a given exercise on so on? How can we explore that? Everyone, like as a practitioner, I've wanted to get contact time and flight time from stride patterns for a long, long time. And I had it and I got very geeky about it, but then I decided to come over as a company to get more out of it now. So we're like the next phase for us as a company is like, let's put more context to it. We've got it. We've got it. We're very happy with straight line with football and multi-directional sports and not just straight line. How can we start to, which the next phase is lab to the field is change of directions now. So when you push off your left foot, what's the flight time contact time behind that? What's your acceleration deceleration profile of your left foot compared to your right foot when you change direction to the left compared to the right? 15 degree turn compared to 180 degree turn. And actually from a rehab point of view, what is the profile of that when the fit compared to when you're doing rehab? It's like, we are, like, I used to watch a couple of very good rehab practitioners do like different drills and perform like 70, 80, 90, 100% kind of 180 degrees change of directions. And you'd watch them in the game and it's very, very rare, if at all, that they did that. Mm. So like, are you actually up? overloading them when they're in a sensitive phase of returning back to play and it's managing that but we didn't have the answers to that to know whether or not it was appropriate at the time and we do it because we feel it's right we do it because of what we've been taught what we feel is appropriate ultimately again answering the performance question and answering that those insights to does it provide value and you get the full training insights now to then take it into those different environments, whether it be conditioning, performance enhancement, whether that be from injury risk reduction strategy and so on. Yeah. Um, as you can tell, I'm excited and can and talk quite passionately about it. So apologies if we've gone off on one again. No, it's good. It's good. And then I was going to ask, I know there's certain things that you won't be able to disclose yet. And obviously people can um, follow the journey over the next sort of weeks and months coming. But in terms of the future, for, for Playmaker that you can talk about, is there anything else that you can sort of um, 
tell the tell the listeners about? Yeah, so um, we we basically had a announcement a couple of sorry times flying by, so I don't know if it's a month or two months, but we were were fortunate that we've been the first wearable technology to be accepted onto FIFA's innovation program. Um, so what FIFA are trying to do is uh, provide an opportunity or a pathway for like innovative pieces of technology like ours that are allowed in official match play in order a pathway to be assessed at least to give them a chance to then hopefully at the end of it it's either yes you're allowed in match play or no you're not allowed in match play so we we were the first wearable technology and as part of FIFA's innovation program there's three different challenges so there's um about like affordable solutions from a VAR perspective like artificial like grass and different surfaces and so on because of the new rule of government change. And then challenge two was the wearable technology space as well. So from our point of view, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to work closely with um, the guys and people like Nicholas Evans, who we were able to then communicate with, go through that process. And we're uh, just, we're a year into that process now. And that's in collaboration with, um, a couple of organisations leads back in the FA which hopefully we'll be able to talk about a little bit more in detail moving forward but I can't speak too much about that at the minute um, but it's an exciting project It's um, part of that is to allow us an opportunity within the controlled testing environment so like a league opportunity so to be used within match play as well um, governed obviously with high fabs extension in there with FIFA's innovation program kind of overseeing that. But you can only go into that program with the support and um, and blessing of a, a national governing body such as the Football Association. So if we were technology looking, it might be like Scottish FA, English FA, or Italian FA as a company. All these companies as a part of these programs have to be associated with a, a football association to then apply to this. So it's an exciting project. It's an exciting time and part part of it as well, especially with the emphasis of the project being involved in the women's game, um, whereby there's a lot of development going on at the minute and a lot of exciting um, yeah, insights being created by the project. So I'm looking forward to when hopefully the great work that people are doing within the organisations who are involved in it can start to speak loudly about because, yeah, there's been some really really interesting and good insights so far um yeah and i can't wait to for them to be able to talk not not me talk about other people talk about because it's their project and it's their good work as well so mm. um yeah it'll be exciting to listen to them when it is able to be shouted about yeah definitely we'll, we'll have another catch up at in a in a few months time or <laughs> or whenever so when we can start speaking about things a little bit more and see see how it progresses that'll be um that'll be awesome we'll move on to some of the questions that we finish each podcast with now um first one and i know it's hard to nail down but who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far um so start family are always like the biggest influences um i don't think we can forget them and it's not necessarily the most attractive answer the show said but that that is ultimately the people who back you and you spend most of your lives with as well. Um, yeah. From a professional point of view, I, I think I've, hopefully I've mentioned most, most of them already, but like in chronological order of when I started, 
like Guy, Parkin, and Tony Dawes at Scunthorpe were very good, um, very good kind of mentors at the start of my journey as well and gave me some really good learning opportunities. Alistair and Mark, Alistair Yule and Mark Gladwin that performed better. Um, and then Rob, Rob Price, especially at Hull. And then probably now, to be honest with you, everyone, I'm a big believer in the influences come from like who you network with. So people I get to speak to regularly and even like one thing we haven't discussed about predominantly is like the UKCA that I'm mm. part of the um, board with now and some of the conversation I have with those guys and setting up the CPD. So people like Andy Boyd, Ked Paxman, Paulie Roche, uh, Rich Homewicks, Chris Bishop, everyone associated with that has always been a big influence and, I'm a big believer you collaborate with the people that motivate you and a big inspiration. So, uh, and again, you probably regret asking this question because it's a long list. Now. <laughs> it's good. End, it's good. When I do presentations, like one of the last slides is like to thank everyone. And I've just got profile pictures of everyone that's helped me along the way in the journey. Cause I think it's one of the key characteristics I look for when I'm employing stuff as well is that kind of like a humble nature but also that appreciation of yet yeah, you've gone a long time you appreciate the people along the way but also moving forward so even to the point of people like sean mclaren matt weston rick my phd supervisor paul rick had to put with me for 10 years so he deserves a medal for that like chris towelson there's loads of people to name so paul and all the students i work with and fortunate to supervise now like they've really challenged me and um they keep my research insights like really motivated as well as the people in the company do now. So I think even, even people like I'll say yourself and Rob Pierce as well, because ultimately like the, the CPD opportunities that you provide into people and the knowledge you provide to them is really beneficial. And the amount of people I, just, I speak to that go, oh, I'm on a car journey now, it's just time for a podcast to listen to. And I think that's like, that's a big, um, that's a big useful opportunity to the discipline in general, really. And I think that's where we can get some really having conversations like this. If it, if people are sick of my voice by now, as long as they're getting benefit out of listening to your podcast or Rob's or anyone else really along the way, like you mentioned the high performance one, there's some really good resources out there. And after organizing that webinar last year and the monster that it was like, I've got a lot of appreciation and time for you guys now in the work that you do. I appreciate that. And, and we will just touch on that in a second because um, I think you know what I'm going to say about it. But just before I do, I know you've said in this podcast you don't like talking about yourself too much and you divert away onto other people, but I'm going to put you on the spot now. So what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Biggest strength as a practitioner? I'd like to say listening. Um, I think it's a trait that sometimes that we forget about because we're all in a rush to get to the end goal. I think sometimes it can be frustrating and you just want to get to that end goal. But I think I probably wouldn't have given that answer like towards the start of my career, but listening, I think, is one of the biggest traits. And everyone's going to say communications and relationships, but actually mm. listening to people mm. and taking that information in is probably like, I like to think is that's a good trait of mine. 
Like, no one listens to me, so I might as well listen to them. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure that's definitely not the case. But yeah, I think I fully agree. I think it's so important. And the amount of people that I speak to that talk about like observing and listening before they're actually acting and trying to put things in place, especially going into new clubs and new roles or working with new coaches. It's so important, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then next one, this is where I was going to talk about the webinar is we, we always ask in terms of CPD, um, if there's anything you've done recently or what you've taken the most from, basically just to give people a bit of insight into what, what you're doing to progress, but to maybe point people in the direction of things that they might not have seen. And yours has come up, the, the webinars you, you saw um, organized came up, have come up a lot on the podcast. And I, I did tell you that before, but in terms of yourself, um, is there anything that sort of stands out for you where you'd maybe direct people? Um, like, first of all, thank you to the kind people that have said about the webinar. It was, um, yeah, it's, it was, it was a challenge, but I think with regards to content and CPD and podcasts are a really good one, but the best thing that you can really do is just get out and go visit people, see them in their own environments. And like the, bit, not many people say this, but I did find the basis accreditation process enjoyable. And I know everyone's starting to go on a PhD, but it probably shows where my mind's at me being a geek is that like I, I enjoy that kind of research side of it. And actually the, the best CPD is one, going and visiting people, two, collaborating on research projects together. So I think you sit down and because you have to be, you have to critically analyze an area and space, the conversation is great. Like be one person I forgot to mention is Tanif Scott and me, Tanif and um, Sean have had probably three years worth of conversations trying to get to the end of a, research project that was started in like in, in 2017 at Brisbane Broncos and we're we're still finalizing that paper now and those conversations have been so powerful they've been part of my CPD log shall we say over the last couple of years I don't know if I can use that as official CPD log and get credits for that but uh try to persuade UKSA to uh get that done <laughs> but uh, that's a different conversation no, I agree as well. I think I think getting out with people, speaking to them and collaborating, I think 100% that's great advice. Um, just finally, mate, the last couple, I always ask, what do you think the most important or one of the most important traits for a coach to have is to be successful or effective with the players? Good coaching pose. Like, <laughs> arms folded, big chest, big bias. No, um, to, to be honest, because John Noonan would win that. He keeps pumping himself up with the high He does, doesn't he? he? He does, yeah. yeah. So. Get some big guns out, isn't he? he well, yeah, he's, he's got a secret weapon in the BFR, but anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, pro probably for for me, like, the, the best trait is just to be humble, like, actually try and gain knowledge in a smart way. Um, and what I mean by that is, don't feel as though you have to be blooming a, a space space invader and just go stand next to someone and like be the teacher's pet. It's ultimately like learning to pick and choose the right times to communicate with people. Um, but yeah, like I'd say just listen, communicate. The basics of every walk of life, really, not just our environment. It's that key trait that gets you far in business and 
ultimately, if you go into management and depending on the organization, it's ultimately being able to critically analyze and make those key choices at the right time as well. Yeah. And then just last one, um, it'd be interesting bearing in mind some of the players that you've come across and worked with. What do you see as like a common trait in some of those top performers? So it's it's interesting because like two, I was fortunate like two of the players I'm, I've worked with are like one's obviously captain for Scotland and the other one will probably be a future England captain if he's not England captain at some point during this tournament. Um, like, and they have different traits them. So the biggest thing for me is actually it's that drive to succeed that really pushes them on. And so you work with players at different stages in the career, but from an athlete's point of view, a willingness and desire to work hard, they might, like, and that might not be working hard in the gym, which is painful to say for our discipline sometimes, but if they, ultimately, they might be the best, hardest worker on the pitch. They might be the best, hardest worker when it comes to reviewing video footage some aspect of their professional career, the better professionals obviously have a much round, rounded one, but they all want to excel in some area to really give them that bigger chance as well. Yeah. So, and they've also got good personalities as well. There's not many uh, pro athletes that come and haven't got a personality to them in some form. Yeah, which we shouldn't forget about. Like, they are humans after all, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like one... One player I worked with used to regularly come into gym and I used to have to watch the SNC coach try and squat him when he was naked in the gym. So um, <laughs> there's all those kind of joys of work with athletes that you sometimes don't get to see. You wish you hadn't seen some of them as well, yeah. by the way. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, you, ultimately the humans, the, like men, men and women athletes, like the, the women athletes, Probably, I would argue to say some of them are much more, and I say professional in the term of like doing everything by the book, everything kind of right, is that on the women's side, they were, it was refreshing to actually see them work because they might not have the same resources as what some of their male counterparts did, but they were very professional, very driven towards their task. And actually, you couldn't give them enough. Yeah. It's like sometimes within like the male, the male side of the game, it's like, you tried to give too much and you had to get that balance right in order to get them to do it. Whereas like they would literally be questioning, asking you, and that might be international level compared to domestic level as well. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see the difference between the standards as well. Brilliant, mate. This has been top, Steve. Really, really good. I think there's some, re some real uh, beneficial information like early on talking about all um, in terms of career and career choices, but then obviously everything that's going on with, with Playmaker as well. Um, so I really appreciate you giving up your time and coming on. Uh, I was just going to say just before we wrap up, like for people to keep an eye on Playmaker to get more information, where would you direct them? Yeah, so um, website, social media, um, Instagrams, even though I'm not on Instagram, people seem to be going on the gram a lot kind of thing. I do sound like about 80 when I say that. Um, but yeah, like social media avenues, there is a lot more work and research due to be coming out soon. So, which will hopefully, um, if people are interested, then it'll be available to them. And even if they want to get in touch, I'm always happy to have conversations. Uh, my Twitter handle is the Barrett five and 
email address is steve.barrett.playmaker.com if anyone's got any questions or even just wants to get in touch and organise a Google Meet or Zoom call to go through things. Superb. I'm sure you might have a few take you up on that. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on, mate. Thanks a lot for your time and we'll stay in touch. No Cheers, Ben. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast again. I really appreciate all your support and big thanks to Steve for giving up his time. Um, I really appreciate him coming on. It was the first time chatting to to him, but he was absolutely first class as he expected. Um, I think we covered some great stuff in this podcast. So make sure to keep an eye on Playmaker and also the work that Steve puts out. So go and give Steve a follow on Twitter if you don't already, at Steve Barrett and then the number five. And Barrett is B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Um, takeaways for me on this one, he spoke about, um, before social media, before the popularity of social media in terms of being forced to network and go and meet people. And I know he mentioned it a few times in the podcast is actually going out to meet practitioners, the best way of networking. And I agree with that. I think it's, I think he said, you sort of drop your guard down. You can have conversations that you might not have in them in a bit more of a pressure environment, maybe at the club or when you've got plenty of other things on as well. And that can lead to some really good conversations. So obviously it's been hard in the last year to do that. And doing it over Zoom is probably a little bit different. But as things start to relax, which hopefully is going to be very soon, um, get out there, get speaking to as many people as possible. Obviously that is part of what we do at our events, but you can also do it away from the events as well and go and visit people. And also visit different businesses as well. Steve spoke about going to Microsoft and that really fascinates me because there's so much we can learn from businesses like that um, and, and take into what we do. He spoke about a barrier already being in place in some roles in terms of going into certain clubs or certain positions and not having the sort of environment to have these conversations. Sometimes there's a barrier already up. It might be between departments and you've got to try and create that atmosphere where you can have open, honest discussions. Um, He spoke about our profession being an enjoyable one. And I think that is a really great point that sometimes we get caught up in the discussions around salary and the lack of opportunities and everything else. But when we do get in roles, like we, we have to enjoy it. Sam Holt spoke about this in the last episode, that he was just thriving being it, a first team sports scientist. Um, and I think it was a great point from Steve as well. And then he spoke again a lot about answering the performance question. So seeing what the performance question is and then and trying to provide an answer to it. And that was in relation to uh, tech and bringing new things into play. And obviously he spoke about Playmaker in terms of that as well. And then just finally for me, he spoke about gaining knowledge in a smart way. So not just being the sort of fly on the wall and just observing, but asking the right questions, being... Um, sort of intrigued and and really wanting to progress and learn as a practitioner and that's where you're going to get the most from interactions with people as well so again like in every episode i take plenty from every single episode but i'd love to hear what you guys took from it Um, and i'm sure steve would as well so please get in touch give us a retweet give us a share on instagram but post also or drop us a, a private message if you don't want to post it on some of your takeaways, what, what you took from the episode um, and, and that relates to your role and what, 
what sort of had the biggest impact to you. It'll, it'll be really interesting to hear that as well. And just finally, before I go, um, just a reminder, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Tuesday the 20th of July, QPR Academy. It's our first event of the year. So go to footballfitfed.com, go to the shop and grab your ticket there. They are available at the early bird price at the moment, but they will be going up in a few weeks time. And members of the community, make sure to use your discount code available on the community to get your community members discount as well. So I hope to see as many of you guys there as possible. And as always, huge thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, we've got some really exciting guests coming over the next few weeks so I'm really looking forward to bringing those to you and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 143